Being an expert sucks. As a teacher of spiritual intelligence and emotional health, I get cornered into being the guy who has all the answers. I'd like to take this opportunity to make a confession. I don't. What I do have are convictions. I have theories. I have questions. I find myself looking around and I'm like, we can't stay here. Stop setting up your tent. We can't stay here. Through my journey, it's become evident that being a participant is no longer enough. It's time to become reformers. These are my confessions. To get deeper in this conversation, visit MikeMayashiro.com. Right. This is part two of my interview with Yvette Cantu Schneider. Things start to heat up in this one, and I'm so excited to share this with you guys. Enjoy. What would you say to people who are listening to this who still genuinely believe, even if they're just straight up, they're straight, they're not actually going through this themselves, they're not struggling, but they believe people's sexual orientation can change and they should leave a life of being a, a homosexual in whatever way that looks and be straight. What would you say to them in terms of what like what they must not be connecting to or missing that you have witnessed and experienced in your walk? Well, it would be like saying, you know, telling a straight person that they have to be gay, no matter what you have to be gay. You cannot be with someone of the opposite sex. It's the exact, it would be the exact same experience where no, but I am attracted to the opposite sex. Why do I have to be with someone of the same sex? It's the same thing. It's just not something, it's just not a switch that you can turn on or off. This is what I always say. It's like, if this is what God wanted, then some people would have changed. And believe me, the people I knew, if anyone was going to change, it would be them because they wanted it so badly and prayed so fervently and served God in every imaginable way. Like they did everything right, what you would say as a Christian, and still there was no change. Like just seeing that alone, plus all the people that I came across, you know, I'd go to weddings, went to my one friend's wedding, and he was just so excited that he was marrying a woman and came okay. back from his honeymoon. He said, I've never felt so straight in my life. And they had kids and everything was happy for a while. And then I lost track of him. And then he contacted me after he saw Pray Away. He's like, yep, I had to leave my wife. It, it just, I'm not straight. And that's what I see happening over and over and over again. I mean, there's some people who they do stay in their mixed orientation marriages because it just, you know, they feel an obligation or their lives are so intertwined. It would be a hassle, too much of a hassle for them to split apart. So I've got people in my world, specifically because of my Bethel background, who when I came out, they're like, what are you saying about all these people at Bethel within the changed ministry that's there, they're saying they've had these radical encounters with Jesus and that he made them straight. They're not gay anymore. What are, they're healed. This language, which, you know, is just in and of itself so offensive already. But then yeah. they're like, what are you saying? Like these people, your, your testimony matters more than them. You know God better than them. You're more right than they are. Like for someone who's as heavily involved in the reparative, like ex-gay movement and, you know, years of your life and your career and your passion directed to that work and space and seeing the absence of results of what you guys were working toward, what would you say to people who are seeing the changed thing at Bethel as evidence that you're wrong, your experience is wrong, your expertise on this is not valid because these people are proving something else? They, I guess their question is, how do you reconcile your worldview and experience of this with these people blatantly saying that they're experiencing what you're saying is impossible? But we said the same thing. 
like we did the same thing. We said the same things like, yes, we're changed. Yes, you know, from the leadership all the way through. And it's just like you, yeah, you feel changed at some point in time when you're dealing with the thrill of having met someone, like I said, or if now your family is happy with you because you're going to an ex-gay ministry and you're saying that you're changed. But these are momentary, they're brief, they don't last. And of course you can't say that someone's lying and I don't believe that they are. I think there really is that emotional high that you have of everything coming together, your sexuality, your community, your spirituality, but inevitably it crumbles. And that's the sad part. It's that people come in with such high hopes and high expectations, and then it crumbles. And this is what, and where the real damage is, I think, is where people think other people have changed. And so therefore, if I'm not changing, then there's something wrong with me. And so that's the danger of those who are propped up as leaders and those of us who felt that we had to continue on the course that we set for ourselves because what are we going to do otherwise? How do you get out of this? So we have to keep saying the party line, even when people aren't changing. I was actually genuinely surprised at what you said. I mean, I don't know what I was expecting. I kind of can assume what I would think your opinion was, but your response just kind of pushed me back a bit. For the sake of clarity in this bigger conversation that we're all having, I want to say to the audience, you, Yvette, you have credibility in this space because it's not just an opinion you have. It's not just a judgment you've made. This is like you paid for your understanding and perspective here with years of your life and your story and your career and your, your, your personal journey to understand and work in this space and have to like reconcile with the truth. You're saying the people who are claiming to have these experiences with Jesus and he changed them, you're like, I get it. We did it. We said that. That's like history is already start and finished that whole experience. And in all the different diverse denominations and experiences of different people who claim this experience, 99.99% of the people, I don't know why it's not 100%. Well, because Mike, can I just say something right here? Because Alan Chambers was the one who said, I think it was at the GCN conference that 99.99% of people don't change. And the person that was the 0.01% who he was referring to was me. So it's a hundred percent, Mike. I'm the point zero one percent. Let's refer it to. Yvette. Did you not know that? Well, listen, Ed mentioned that in his interview with me, and I was like, oh, really? But I didn't get to like vet that or search it out. I didn't know like if that was like a rumor or hearsay or where that came from. And of course, if Ed's saying it, it's probably accurate. Oh my gosh, it was you that. <laughs> Alan was it thinking was of when he said that, that Alan was thinking of, yeah. <laughs> so it would have been 100% if he didn't know you. <laughs> right. right. Oh my gosh. <laughs> but think about it. Let me say one more thing. Oh, and that is before I forget, because I thought of this a couple of <laughs> times and then it just keeps leaving my head. But you have books from the conservative Christian side that will say, okay, well, we talked to 250 women. And this is how they say they've changed. Or years ago, we boycotted an American Psychiatric Association conference to say, yes, we're ex-gay and we can change and you need to recognize us. And we had signs and we held a press conference. And so Robert Spitzer, who was the one behind having 
homosexuality removed from the diagnostic and statistical manual that psychiatrists and psychologists use to diagnose people. He said, okay, well then I'll talk to some of you and we'll figure this out. Well, of course, who's he talking to? Like the names that he was given were people like me and John Polk and Randy Thomas and Alan Chambers, like all the leaders are coming forward and we're gonna tell you that we've changed. And it's the same with these books. Like you're going to the people who have skin in the game. Like we're devoted to, we're telling you study us and then we're telling you what we want you to hear. We're talking about your experience. So I wanna just kind of share my thought on the position and like some of the nuance and strain of where the truth falls here. It starts to become a little bit negotiable for some people in this conversation because of what's at stake or what's on the line. For people who choose to come out publicly saying, I used to be gay, like I was a lesbian and now I'm not, or I, you know, whatever, my life's like, here are the stats and the details to show you how depraved I was. And then Jesus, so now look at how conformed and like appropriate I've become now. I, I meet your expectations because that's evidence that God has worked in my life, right? That narrative. Yes. For someone like you, someone in your position, where literally there are people right now who are you, however many years ago that was, right? They're in that position. Yeah. For them to come out and say, you know what? My attractions have not changed, but they're married with kids. Some of them have careers, have ministries, have images and platforms built on this very claim that they've been transformed. And so maybe they believed it when they got platformed, right? And maybe they believed it for a while, the first little honeymoon period of however long their willpower and ability to sustain the lie lasted, right? Because of the reinforced external pressure and like affirmation of, oh yes, my parents' approval, my church's approval, the opportunity to lead, be in the front, like all these perks that come from conforming, lying maybe, right? Or accepting yeah. this narrative. It was all working for a little bit. And then after a while, you as a human being, you're kind of like, this isn't sustainable. Like I'm tired. Uh, this isn't, I'm not doing well. And then if like a crisis starts to happen or something intensely negative, like their child becoming sick and then the anxiety just presenting itself, like you had this breakthrough, right? Of just having to be honest with yourself not everyone has that opportunity where they don't have these things that force them to have to be honest and that they're hitting a brick wall, right? Or a dead end in their journey. Some of them actually double down and go harder into this like message and writing a book and becoming more known in that space for them to be honest about what's actually going on internally with their attractions and their orientation. They have so much that they would lose, have to give up. Like their life would just, you know, on some level be devastated based on everything they've invested in, in order to say what you're saying now. Right. And so their presence in the world continues to provide a narrative or an opposition to everything you're saying. But there are people like you who are like, listen, I did that already. I went through that. And there are a bunch of us who went through it. And it's awkward because we've got documentaries with people publicly claiming, and these weren't just like side people who just kind of dabbled you guys this was your career you were public you were televised you were like leading organizations right and you're like for decades for, for decades. decades yeah i mean in history you've like participated in this whole phenomenon and you're like it didn't work and unanimously across the board you're all like we didn't change it didn't change right no one was changing you're all saying this the people who are representing opposition to this you're saying, listen, I don't want to judge them. I'm not trying to put them in a box or like whatever, but where that falls in my understanding is they're doing what we did. Like we, we, I get it. Like we did that for decades. It just wasn't true. Exactly. You said that perfectly. Yes.
100%. So for the people yeah. who are asking me that question, who still are convinced and they're still clinging to that gay people can change because look at this. I'm just going to send this interview. Like you can think that all you want yeah. just realize that there are living people today who've done this already. And it's, and the fruit of this is actually really bad. It really bad. And then you're stuck. And then how do you get out? Because like you said, not everyone has an experience like mine that is so dramatic where I had no choice, but I have to pull myself together somehow. People may not have had a situation as dramatic as mine. They may never leave where they're just, just going to stay where they are and say, this is the safest place for me, but they're not living authentically. They're not living a full life. They've got this secret that's just festering in them and there's no one to tell and there's no way to get out. There's no escape. And I know back in my day, we didn't even know that affirming churches existed, that there was an affirming theology. So what are you going to do? You're going to leave God? Because that's what I thought. I thought that was it. Like, I'm just going to have to walk away from church. We'd had some bad church experiences anyway, like a lot of people have. So it's just easier for me to turn my back on God and say that I'm gay. What else am I going to do? Because I don't even have a choice. So I've just kind of paid attention in my journey, like specifically in my relationship with God, as the Holy Spirit has influenced my process, I've noticed some patterns and because I've had some pretty radical experiences with God at certain points in my, in my life. And almost all of them, right before I had a dramatic exchange with God on a deep spiritual level, it was almost always preceded by some kind of event in my life that shook my grip on the foundation of what I understood about my life or me or the world I lived in or something, right? It was like there was a foundational tectonic plate shift or threat or poke or something, not even an event. It was more just like a, a threat or, I don't know, a breach of my solid understanding of what was true. Like all of a sudden there was a question and with that genuine like poke, all of a sudden, shortly after that moment, I'm having this dramatic experience with God and he's speaking to me. And I'm like, I don't know that God was doing that. I don't know if he was capitalizing on that. To me, the pattern was because the question was so genuine and I didn't have an answer for it, whatever defense I had in place that kept those things at bay, when that defense was gone, I heard the voice of the Lord, like the sensitive, authentic me heard him. And every time he spoke in that space, it was always affirming who I was and reaching for this person and yeah. wanting me to be this way. And I was like, that can't be it. That can't be it. That can't be it. For 14 years, I did that. And then when I hear your story, I'm like, I think this might reinforce that pattern that I'm observing. You're going yeah. on this journey and then something shakes the foundation of what you know to be, what you assume they got to just accept, like, this is how life is. And all of a sudden it's not like that anymore. Something genuinely like outside of your control is threatening what you knew. And now you're like, what do I do with this? And then all of a sudden that's where the break got to take place. And you realize there's something else here that matters more. And I have to honor this. Would you say that's accurate? Yes. And yeah. And if something that dramatic had to happen, at least for me, because there's no way that I would have admitted yeah. to not having changed otherwise, like I would not have changed the course of my life on my own because it was just too, I was just in that rut and it and then there was still that I want to please God I I can't see that I would please God otherwise until I got to the point where it's like well now I have to be mad at God and I have to walk away mm. which is really sad because no one should have to do that ever 
Right. That should not be the message that people are getting. From right. Right. The message should not be like, oh, this is, just, you know, why did I fall for this? Why did I fall for the Christian message? Because that's what ends up happening. Like, oh, this is just so wrong. I should never have fallen for it in the per first place. Like, honestly, that's where I went. I was just so wrong about so many things. And how can I ever trust myself again? And that sort of thing. How can I ever trust God again? But, you know, fortunately that all came back because God's not just going to let me go. And it wasn't until I met Kathy that I even knew that you could be gay and a Christian. After I had been gone from Exodus for a couple of years, and I felt like I was in a more stable place. I just want to say right now real quick, just because it's the emotion is welling up. I feel like I'm just sitting on the floor in front of your like rocking chair. I'm just like, tell me your story. You know what I mean? I just feel so excited. And I also just feel a, an overwhelming sense of gratitude for the courage that you're living your life with and your willingness to walk this out and be as vocal and honest about your process as you are. Because I understand like to refute decades of your life and your career is probably humiliating or was at some point, right? It's yeah, expensive. Sure. There's such a sacrifice there. There's such a loss, right? Of renouncing so many things that you invested so much energy and professionalism and skill and effort and clout into. Like that's a price. So I just want to take a moment to acknowledge like that was such a sacrifice on your part. And I just want to commend you for the courage and willingness for you to be authentically yourself and be honest about your experience, even at the cost of what it's brought to you. Like I've I'm honored to be in front of you listening to you right now and that you're in the world saying this. I'm just so thankful that you're bringing that to the table because there's so much harm being done to people who refuse to do that, who will not renounce what they wrongfully engaged in, even though it's harming people, right? The verse, um, you prevent people from entering the kingdom while you yourselves refuse to enter is coming up. That was a rebuke that I experienced in my journey of coming out. Yeah. And it was like, you changed your mind you're like I am I'm going to not prevent people from getting in anymore and I'm going to go in myself which required humility and childlikeness and I just I respect that thank you sorry carry on thank you for saying that it's yeah. you know I feel like you know it's like two decades of the prime of my life yeah. that I can't get back right like there's nothing that I can do to change that there's all I can do is move forward and try to make better choices and try to do things that are more authentic and not just listen to outside voices all the time. Because of your journey, there are people who are going to listen to this conversation and it's going to break the delusion that there are people in the world who are changing because of Jesus. It's going to break the idea that God is changing people from this when you and I both know that he's not doing that. And he's not just not changing people. He loves us the way we are. As like we are. As right? we are. And so your yeah. sacrifice and like what you walked out and lived for so long gets to bear weight that breaks stuff in people's minds who are yeah. willing to listen. So I don't know that it's nothing, you know what I mean? I don't think it's just loss. Yes, yeah. there's loss, absolutely. But also there's such redemption. And so I'm so thankful that you're willing to like share from that place. Like it's such a gift. So thank you so much. Thank for you. Us. Thank yeah. you for saying that because it is hard. It's like, totally. sometimes I just want to, and sometimes I do just cry and what happened like what yeah. why did I make the decisions that I did why did I stick so long in something that it just was not nourishing my spirit or anyone else's and I knew that and I knew that and I just cared more about 
I guess what other people thought, or I don't know what I would do with my life. All those kinds of questions were just more important. And that I regret. And then, you know, so after a couple of years, I decided because people knew me, because I was out there, people had listened to my voice, that it was incumbent upon me to come out publicly. I had this friend, Jeremy, and he would write every once in a while for GLAD. Would you care to just help them know what GLAD is? Yeah, so GLAD is the Gay and Lesbian Alliance Against Defamation. So mostly what they do is deal with movies, television, the depiction of LGBTQ people in media. And Jeremy said, well, I want to do an interview with you. And then, you know, GLAD will push it out, publicize it. So I wrote a letter. So it was an open letter that I wrote basically saying my experiences and that, no, I had never seen anyone change. And I was sorry for my past involvements and and just backing away from all of that. And so on day one, they published that. And then on day two, Jeremy had done an interview with me and then GLAD published that interview. And they handled all the media for that. They were very good about it. Glad was excellent. They were very gracious and they handled all of the media inquiries, all of that. Well, Ross Murray, who was the head of communications there at the time, was talking to me on the phone because he's the one who handled all of this. And he said, you live in Reno. Do you happen to know Kathy Baldock? And I said, no. I've never even heard of her. And he said, oh, she's got this really popular website. This is before she, her first book hadn't come out yet. It was about to, like oh. none of the things that we all know Kathy for, her book reviews, all that, none <laughs> of that had happened yet. And I said, no, I don't know. And, and he said, oh, well, you have to connect with her. So I had that in my mind. I wrote down her name. Well, at the same time, a friend of hers had said, you know what? I was looking on Yvette's Facebook and every time she posts, it comes from the same location as where you post. So I don't know if she's there on vacation or... What's going on? That was back in the day when Facebook would just put the city you were in. (laughs) (laughs) Like that's how long ago that was. Ross said, yeah, she was kicked out of a church there recently and it's on YouTube. So I go and I look it up on YouTube and it's Kathy and these two guys on either side of her, like trying to pull her out of the church. And she's like, don't touch me, get your hands off me. And it's like, oh my gosh, she's so scary. (laughs) (laughs) I've seen that video. She looks wild. Yeah. Yeah. So that was, that was the video, right? That was my first contact, you know, my first exposure to Kathy Baldock. So I'm like, uh-oh, kind of scared this woman. She sent me a message on Facebook and said, are you in town? Do you, are you by me? I always hike on this particular trail. And I, I responded, I said, I hike on that trail too. Yeah. And so she said, well, do you want to meet me to hike? And I have to say, I was intimidated because I did not know how she would be with me. Was she just going to rake me over the coals and tell me what an awful person I was? Do I really want to be meeting someone for a hike and just hear all these horrible things? Like this you really is want to be I'm alone gonna... in the wilderness with this woman? Yeah, exactly. Or she has me all alone and she can tell me what an awful person I am. <laughs> 
So we met for a hike. And of course, you know, Kathy, Kathy's Kathy. She was very friendly and wanted just to ask me a bunch of questions and know all about me. And then we found so many avenues of like, oh my gosh, I know that person too. Oh yes, I know. I did this, you know, I've spoken here. We just had so much to connect over. And then it wasn't even long after that, probably a few months after that, that her book came out. So I actually read her book in advance and offered some feedback on some portions. And we have been friends ever since. In the beginning, I told Kathy, and probably at least for a couple of years, like, I don't want to talk about God. Don't try to tell me to go to church. I don't want to hear any of that. And she said, I'll never do that to you. But it was just a matter of seeing for me so many gay Christians who really love God. What was and, your exposure to these gay Christians? Where were you? Well, this them? was it. It was like just through Kathy, like oh, people okay. that I would meet through Kathy, or and then social media becoming more prominent, meeting people that way, talking to people, conferences. People, as you know, come through town and see Kathy's. I've met all sorts of people who have just come through town to see Kathy. And these are people who are genuine Christians who want to serve God the way I had wanted to serve God. You know, this is not just someone who's saying, I want to go to church on Easter and Christmas. (laughs) These are real Christians. Oh yeah. Okay. You can be gay and Christian. And I think after that, then it was for me, that's the way it was. Like I didn't need to see any kind of theology, any of that first. I, that came second. I needed to see the people. I needed to see Mm -hmm. the fruits first and then see the scholarly part of it. What I'm doing now is I'm actually writing my experiences from the Christian right, because I've never done that completely. I've never written it all out. So I'm doing that, but along with it, a lot of the questions that I get asked that I didn't anticipate, try to anticipate what people are gonna ask you, And the number one question I get from people is basically, how do you live with yourself? And it's not an insulting question as in, how do you live with yourself? It's coming from parents because they may have sent their kids to ex-gay ministries or conversion therapy. It's coming from pastors who have sent people to ex-gay ministries and conversion therapy. It's coming from LGBTQ people themselves who are upset with themselves for having denied their sexuality and an integral part of themselves. Like how do you get almost get past the self-loathing and the hating yourself? And so that's what I'm writing about as well. Like that's part of this because any of us can look at some, at things in our past and say, I wish I hadn't done that. Or why did I make that decision? Or, but I don't think any of it honors God or honors who you are in your spirit by just beating yourself up for the rest of your life. Like that doesn't bring honor to anyone. And there are so many things you can do when you shed that and just say, no, I'm from, from this point out, I'm going to live differently and I'm going to make a difference. What do you imagine you're going to be doing in high schools? What are you going to say to these kids? Well, we're going to try to go to high school groups for gender identity and sexual orientation and just telling them about the history 
you know, it's not like people knew what same-sex couples were at the turn of the 19th to 20th century. Like this is not, you weren't going to say that they were gay or homosexual back then. You weren't going to recognize them as, you know, partnerships the way that you would a man and a woman. I think when, when students, especially when you're talking about high school and college, when they really understand how things fit in history, it'll make more sense to them why Christians believed what they did, why these things happened at a certain time in history. I think that's really important. This is what I've learned from Kathy, to really root ourselves in where we fall in history. I just happened to fall at a really bad time in history <laughs> and the whole ex-gay movement was really ramping up and that's what the church had glommed onto. Right. And I think a little bit too, as I look at your life and then also just in the part of history that you happened in and all those things were going on, I feel like that could have happened to a, a lot of different people, you know, going on your journey. And that period of time is evidence to us collectively as just as a whole of looking at what we did and the results of our beliefs and our attitudes and our priorities and our agenda and how we twisted things to make them up to something that we wanted them to be. And then the harm that came from doing that. And there's so many lessons to be learned from that, right? But you like walked it out. And as a part of this collective conversation we're all having, you played your part at helping expose the errors that we made and the ways that we were prejudiced and how we approached this whole thing and the ways that we were wrong and and it was just this particular political time mm. as well you know that was such a big piece of it the right was thinking we need how do we get the christians into the voting booths how do we engage them and then picking lightning rod topics mm. to get them to be conservatives Right. to get them to vote a certain way. And it's really sad when you yeah. look at it that way, that there were so many politics behind it. Uh -huh. So many politics behind the idea that gay people can change. Oh, yeah. I know. If you stop and think about it too much, you can really... Okay, so Ms. Snap right out of that. What are some bullet points that you've you've taken away from your journey that you're like, hey, if my life had any lessons for people, if I had any advice for people based on what I've witnessed and experienced personally, here's some things that I would say I've absolutely discovered or learned along the way that I think ever we should all be aware of. Above all, be true to yourself. Listen to your gut. I'm not saying just only listen to your gut, but I'm saying believe yourself, believe yourself. If there's a red flag, there's a red flag for a reason. And it can't be explained away by some Bible scriptures being taken out of context. I would say, don't always just listen to whoever is in your inner circle right now, or whoever that you, especially if you're going to your pastor or parents or whatever, you've got to do your own research. And that you can do now. Read the book, see what's out there. Don't just say this can't be true and push it aside. That would be the number one lesson I would tell anyone. This is what I tell my kids. Like you have to try, those instincts are there for a reason. They're God given for a reason. That's how you feel any sort of stirring of the Holy Spirit. That's where you're going to feel it. You have to believe that. And then you can do research from there, but don't dismiss it. Don't ever dismiss that feeling, that mm -hmm. instinct, 
that's the still small voice. That's the voice. That's the voice. And then pursue it and then go out. And then there are so many resources now online, especially that we didn't have that you can look at. And so I would say that absolutely number one. Okay. Is there a number two? (laughs) Well, the number two for me is just having a solid core group of friends that you can be real with and not just people that you agree with, but people who will respect you and respect whatever your experience is, whatever your journey is, who will be willing to journey with you, even if theirs is different and not judge you for it. Like I found that to be so great. I was allowed to be with my friends who I really am. And they aren't all on the same page with me and they, do, and they aren't all like me at all. And they don't have to be, I'm not like them, but I support them and they support me. I think that is key too, is just people, some, find people who respect you enough to support you even when they disagree. Is there a number three? I don't know that this is generally and for everyone, but I have found that contemplative meditative prayer has really helped me to stay grounded where it's not just petitioning God or it's not, you know, it's, it's the quiet, just sitting in the presence of God. That to me has been life-changing for me. Where there isn't any sort of a, there's not really a goal. It's just to be. Electio Divina. Yeah, it's, it's nice. awesome. I'll yeah. do that sometimes sitting, sometimes walking. Sometimes I'll go to the monastery where the nuns are. Are <laughs> you serious? Just, yeah, and That's it's just awesome. quiet. It's just quiet. We don't, <laughs> so there aren't going to be any theological differences. There aren't going, there's not going to be any kind of discussion about that. It's just people gathering to sit and contemplate. So I know that's not for everyone, but I absolutely think it's sort of like the Christian version of Buddhist meditation. My podcast is called Confessions of a Reformer. And so usually when I interview somebody, I ask them if they have a confession they'd like to make as it pertains to their field, their work, their journey. I guess a confession for me would be, what is God actually like? Like we have him as God, the father, and then you have this very masculine view of God, but then you bring in, but God also encompasses the feminine and Adam and Eve were made in his image. So what exactly is that image? We seem to only think of things in the binary male, female, but what is God really? All of that, none of that something different. That's my confession. (laughs) You tell me, Mike, you tell me. (laughs) No, I agree. And I also like, I was going to ask, do you have like a hypothesis or a leaning there? But I actually don't know what I would, I don't know what I would say. (laughs) But that is a question I have too. And I've literally had to wrestle with, is it okay for me, even as like I write posts on Instagram or something like, can I just keep calling God he? And he referring to him as him, you know, like, is that appropriate? Or am I actually like misrepresenting what I understand about this person at this point, if I continue to gender him as a male, you know? Right, right. Um, so I've, I actually made a post the other day and I used they for him, like a non-binary yeah. uh, pronoun for God. And I wasn't trying to like start a fight. I'm just more like, I feel like this feels more authentic to who I understand God to be. I don't think he's male. You know what I mean? Like yeah. there's more to him than this. So yeah, I have the same question and same like openness, like. 
he's allowed to be something different than we all have like locked into, you know? Yeah. And I have no idea. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Yvette, thank you so much for coming on. Like I said, I'm so honored that you have taken the stand that you have. I love that you have chosen to be public and to respond. It takes a big person to do that, to like regard your career and your choices you've made in this way and show up like that. I feel very honored, you know, witnessing your life that you would show up and like communicate and be that vulnerable and honest with us like you don't have to do it so I appreciate the stand and thank you for coming on this interview with me and sharing so vulnerably and honestly and there are a couple moments where I was genuinely surprised I can't wait to go back while I'm editing this and like relive those moments I was like whoa and just (laughs) some of the answers you just like were immediate I was like well nice like you're just there so cool Well, thank you so much, Mike. And anyone can contact me through canyonwalkerconnections.com on the website, or I'm on Facebook and Instagram. And so if anyone has questions or comments, feel free. Great. Awesome. Thank you. So you guys, and if you can't find her on Facebook, Yvette and I are friends on Facebook, so you can just go to my yeah, friend yeah. and find her. Well, Yvette, again, thank you so much. It's been an honor chatting with you, and I can't wait for people to get to hear this episode. Uh, yeah, thank I just you. Love it. This is a, a response and a, a voice in the midst of this really big, important conversation we're still having. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank you for what you're doing. Thank you, for sure. <laughs> okay, and that concludes my interview with Yvette Cantu-Schneider. Wasn't that amazing, fascinating, so important for this conversation. Thank you, Yvette. Listen, if you're a queer Christian and you are looking for a safe place to process and reconcile your faith and your sexuality, then the Rainbow Room was built with you in mind. I've provided a link below this episode for you to check it out. I hope you join us. See you next time. Listen, there's more where this came from. If you want to see how deep this rabbit hole goes, check out MikeMyashiro.com.